Greetings, ladies and mendigants, and welcome to this latest episode of Tales from Outer Space. Taken from the subreddit HFY. The links to all the stories will be down below, and as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider subscribing. Retreatal, Chapter 13, Part 1 This is freaking bullcrap, Kimber muttered, standing in line with the rest of the company. Earth's sun was just barely peeking over the horizon. Gala's was hidden by the portal. I've marched more under country than I did in the whole freaking boot camp. The man does love his cadence, Dubois whispered. Lock it up, here comes Captain Spader, Radford said through barely moving lips. Rin flicked an ear in amusement. We only ever travel by marching. He shifted his weight slightly, resisting the urge to adjust his PT uniform. Though I understand their complaints about this thing. He didn't know where it came from, but he'd barely sat up in his bunk before someone threw it in his face. Company, attend! First Sergeant Cutry called out Captain Spader, fell in with the formation. Cutry was awake and alert as Rin had always seen him. Spader looked like he was pretending to not be as groggy as everyone else felt. Forward! March! The company stepped into motion, and Rin was glad that they started with their left foot. Two feet, he mused. Coins flip chance that we both trained to start with the same side. Yeah, left, righty, low, right, low, righty, low, right, left, right, left, righty, low, right, left, Kytri called out, setting the pace. His typical, angrily grating voice took on a smoother tone as he called out the cadence. Column, left, march. The lead rows pivoted as they reached the end of the square in front of their barracks, and with the column right march, echoing company snaked into the road. Katri took a deep breath and bolted out in clear, blue, still angry singing voice. Around her hair she wore a yellow ribbon. Around her hair she wore a yellow ribbon, the marines echoed out. She wore it in the springtime in early month of May. She wore it in the springtime in the early month of May. As the cadence continued, voices started groggily and croaking cleared up as they fell into a familiar rhythm. And if you asked her why the hell she wore it, and if you asked her why the hell she wore it, Rin joined in, copying the words in English rather than relying on the translation spell. He got a few smiles and funny looks as he yelled more than he spoke, but the sing-song shouting and the cadence masked the worst of it. She wore it for the young marine who's far, far away. She wore it for the young marine that's far, far away. Far away. Far away. Far away. Far away. She wore it for the young marine who was far, far away. She wore it for the young marine that was far, far away. Rin found the rhythm of marching feet and comfortably familiar. The pace was slightly different from what he was used to, but he adjusted in no time. He could have kept ranks in his sleep. He had done so many times before, in fact. Even the cadence was familiar. In subject, if not in tune and style, the melancholy longing of lovers separated by war. Until it switched to a ribald irrelevance of the royal host officers would never have followed. Behind the door, her daddy kept a shotgun. Behind the door, her daddy kept his shotgun. He kept it in the springtime in the early month of May. He kept it in the springtime in the early month of May. And if you asked him why the hell he kept it, and if you asked him why the hell he kept it, he'd just blow that young marine's ass away. He kept it just to blow that young marine's ass away. Blow away, blow away. The marine sang back with gusto. 
apparently enthused by the thought of being blown away by an angry father for courting his daughter. Blow away! Blow away! Or maybe just any violence and destruction they're excited for. He kept it just to blow the young marine's ass away. He kept it to blow the young marine's ass away. The march from the barracks to the PT field wasn't long. Two songs later, and Echo Company was filing onto a rough, dirt road that ran in a big circle. It looked like it was supposed to be something, eventually, but it wasn't even half finished. Their formation started in between the other companies in the battalion, who were still forming up and taking roll call. Got to admit, Dewar muttered once they had stopped and between put at ease, Raging schlongbag that he is, the sergeant just had us make this entire rest of the battalion look like sloppy bag of crocs. A few of the others chuckled at the thought. Rin, recognized in several of the marines from other companies, looked familiar glare of one enlisted person hating another for doing more work in front of officers, where they could get bright ideas. Once the battalion had finished falling in and forming up, several marines stepped forward and led them through the light warm-up exercises. All right, devil dogs. The battalion sergeant major stepped forward. Since this war isn't being orchestrated by the Air Force, rather than building us a fancy peachy track, our funding and resources have been focused on killing the enemy. A chuckle rippled through the formation, along with a couple hurrahs. But fear not, your favorite activity of the day is not cancelled. We're Marines, we're adapt and overcome. Instead of running on a manicured track, we will be going on a sightseeing tour of our war effort and do laps around the base instead. The chuckles were replaced by groans. And for extra fun, we will be competing to see which company can call the loudest cadence during their run. The groans got worse. Battalion, ten, huh. Ren snapped to attention, and the companies were given the order to move out. Filing back onto the road, they started a normal marching pace, but it wasn't to last. An order was passed at Arthur Company, and the head of their column, they picked up pace, opening up the gap for Echo. Ren's ears twitched with mild concern. Echo Company, forward at double time, march. The column immediately kicked into high gear. Left, 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 lefty right left, Catry sang. Left, left, lefty right left. The marines sang back. Left, left, keep in step now. Left, left, keep in step now. The long train of battalion hoofed it down the road at what Rin found to be an alarming pace. How long are we supposed to keep this up for? When my granny was 92. When my grammy was 92. She did PT better than you. She did PT better than you. It was serious about the distance, Rin panted, determined to keep up. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-uh, uh-uh, PT, PT, good for you, good for you, good for me, good for me. Rin's breath came in painful gasps, his legs burned, he had stopped calling back cadence what felt like miles ago. I can't drop out. A Coast Guard, A Coast Guard, Puddle Pirate Coast Guard, Puddle Pirate Coast Guard. Get in your dinghies and follow me, get in your dinghies and follow me. I am a U.S. Marine, I am a U.S. Marine. Anyo dropped out, staggering off to the side behind Ayan and Sayashi. Yashai was still in the death march, somewhere in the battalion leadership up ahead. Then he caught a glimpse of Chechia. His head was down, bobbing from side to side, and foam was dribbling out of his mouth, but he continued to drive on. 
Nomla looks about ready to die, but he hasn't given up yet. Quite the difference from yesterday. The memory of the effeminate yipe he had made the day before, when receiving the peanut butter shot brought a brief smile to Rin's face, despite the stabbing stitch in his side. Hey-yo, Captain Jack. Hey-yo, Captain Jack. Meet me down in the railroad track. Meet me down in the railroad track. Put a rifle in my hand. Put a rifle in my hand. I'm gonna be a shooting man. I'm gonna be a shooting man. A shooting man. A shooting man. The best I can. The best I can. The Marines thundered on. Rin couldn't tell if the pounding of his skull was the pulse or the sound of feet stomping the ground. Davy swelled out of their formation, staggering off to the side as vomit streamed down his mouth. He passed Duke Yushai, sitting beside the road, panting and gasping for breath. The next bend in the road, they saw Chechia stumble out. I refuse to quit. Hey, hey, Marine, hey, hey, Marine, where have you been? Where have you been? I've been to Korea. I'm going to die. I've been to Korea, fighting for liberty, fighting for liberty, dying for freedom, dying for freedom. Darkness consumed him. You're an idiot, Bradford grinned at Rind as he blinked at her, the ivy in his arm. Stubborn as all freck, but still an idiot. Rind sat in the back of an ambulance humpy, a corpsman monitoring his vitals. He twitched an exhausted ear at her. How can you keep running like that? We train for it, she snorted, rolling her eyes. All the freaking time. She gave him another grin. Nothing like a twenty-mile run with a fifty-pound back to start your day. He whimpered. She chuckled. It's usually a lot less than that, but continuous running is what we've evolved for, chasing prey across the plains of Africa until they dropped from exhaustion. His ears sagged. I don't think we'll be able to keep up. She patted his shoulder. Probably not, but we're kind of nuts about cardio, even by other human military standards, and we're mechanized, so we don't have to hoof it everywhere anymore. She grinned, tapping him on the arm. And uh, you were the last Kishman to fall out. You lasted a click and a half longer than the Duke and Nalmu, and they stayed longer than Davies did. Rin sat up more than a little stiff as the corpsman pulled the ivy from his arm. Oh, he's going to be feeding that in the morning. She gave him a sympathetic smile. The corpsman wrapped a bandage around his arm and told him to take it easy for a while, but otherwise gave him a clean bill of health. Ready to get on with the rest of the day, Bradford held out a hand and helped him climb out of the humvee with a grin. You have entirely too much energy right now, he said, giving her a glare and a grumpy ear flick. She laughed, patting him on the back. Come on, we've got range day today. You guys gotta go do the stuff debrief first. He nodded, stiffly falling a step with her. Where is it at? All the way over to the other side of the base, she grinned. He whined. <laughs> Don't worry, we're taking a Humvee. Thank the gods, he said, his ears sagging in relief. Thirty minutes later, Run settled into his chair in a room that reminded him of a lecture hall, if one were built in a cheap couple days. They had stopped at the barracks along the way to change to their regular uniforms and for Bradford to shower. Run had opted to avoid the wet fur of a shower, but took a few moments to freshen up with baby wipes before putting on a clean uniform. Only a few marines joined the Kishman at the brief. Most of the battalion was attending a separate brief or assigning other training for that day. Each company was scheduled to take tasks at the range over the week. On the wall, an image was projected as if it was magic, and a few moments after they arrived, the scene shifted from a snow-covered forest to a sandy desert. What? 
How are they doing this without magic? Yenyad had asked, his ears focused on the image. What miracle is this? Bigger miracle is that the projector works, Bradford said, settling into her own seat. This is an Air Force building, the old Marine said as he walked past her towards the front. The projector in our training building doesn't work. Ah, she nodded. That explains it. Let's get started, the older Marine said, stepping up to the podium in front of the room. I am Staff Sergeant Rickles, and I am one of Echo Company's small arms weapons instructors. I'll be covering basic small arms instruction here, and after lunch I'll be your range safety officer for today. First things first, if the event of fire or other emergency in which we need to evacuate, we will go back to the door you came in, down the hall and to the left and muster across the street. If anyone gets lost or doesn't know the way, I am as flammable as everyone else, so just follow me. If we need to shelter in place, we'll secure the door, hunker down as best we can. If we come under significant attack, we'll muster back with our units, arm up and kill the enemy. Any questions? A glance around the room revealed none. Outstanding. Now that that's out of the way, first thing we're going to do is go over the four universal weapons safety rules. He clicked a small device in his hand and the projection behind him changed. The desert disappeared and was replaced by a white screen with human letters. So long as you follow these four universal rules, whether you are using weapons here at work or on your own personal firearms at home, you will never have a negligent discharge. He clicked the next slide, showing a single line of human text, with the first word larger and underlined. He took a breath and then paused, eyes narrowing at the Kishman. None of you can read this, can you? They all shook their heads in the negative with reinforcing ear flicks. He frowned and then shrugged. You know what? Frick it. It helps me. I'll keep using the damn slideshow. He straightened up. Anyway, four universal safety rules. Rule number one. Treat every weapon as if it were loaded. He paced a short distance back and forth, meeting the eyes across the room. His tone loud and firm. 95% of all negligent discharges occur because people assumed the gun wasn't loaded, even though it actually was. There are countless examples of people forgetting to clear the weapon and then doing something stupid with their gun, or clearing the weapon and not realizing it, or forgetting that they put a round back in the chamber, and then doing something stupid with their gun. He made a point of looking at each Kishman in the eye. So even if you have personally verified your weapon is clear and safe, always, always, always... Handle it, as if there was a round in the chamber. He clicked the slideshow again, and more words appeared on the screen. Rule number two. Never point a weapon at anything you do not intend to shoot. When your weapon fires, death comes out the barrel. The bullet is going to hit anything and anyone standing in front of the muzzle. And they are going to have a real close and personal encounter with the Grim Reaper. So always maintain awareness and control your muzzle. It's real simple. If you don't want something shot, don't point your freaking weapon at it. Hoorah! Hoorah, Rin said, along with the marines, earning him a few ear twitches from the other Kishman. Rule number three, the staff sergeant clicked his slide again. Keep your fingers straight and off the trigger until you're ready to fire. When you pull the trigger, the gun goes bang. If you don't want the gun to go bang, keep your booger hooks off the bang switch until you're ready to fire. Hoorah! Hoorah! Rule 4. More words flew up onto the screen, 
Keep the weapon and a safe until ready to fire. The safety keeps the weapon from shooting, even when your dumbass pulls the trigger by mistake, because you weren't following rule number three. You want to maintain the weapon in safe condition as possible until you are ready to be unsafe. But don't rely on the safety alone, because crap breaks, and old man Murphy will make sure it happens at the worst possible time. That's why we have the other three rules. Hoorah! Hoorah! So that is your four universal rules. Treat, never, keep, keep. Once again, so long as you follow these rules, you will never have a negligent discharge. You are required to follow these rules in the range. This is your first and only warning. If I catch any of you crapbags violating these safety rules in my range, I will spot and kick your ass straight out of it. And you can have the pleasure of explaining to your CEO why you're freaking dumbass. Hurrah! Hurrah! He clicked the next slide, glanced at them and the Kishman. Do any of you have any idea of how a firearm actually works? Rin glanced at the other artifices and then slowly raised his hand, earning himself a look from Enyo. They work like a bean shooter, but instead of a little bean pushed out by a breath from your lungs, it's a slug of metal being pushed out by hot smoke and gas from burning powder. The sergeant made a not-bad face. In a nutshell, he nodded, unlike your standard pea shooter, the bullet leaves the barrel of a gun at thousands of feet per second, faster than the speed of sound. If you get hit by one, it will ruin your day. Rickles then stepped them through the basic mechanics of a firearm, the basic function and the cycle of operation. Most of the kitchen leaned forward when Rickles clicked the slide to show the moving internal parts of the gun. Even Anyo quirked an interested ear. Satisfied that they had the basic understanding of how a gun worked, Rickles shifted to marksmanship fundamentals, condition codes, and range commands. His instruction was thorough and efficient, and he had no problem demonstrating holds and carries multiple times. All right, Rickles said, clicking the projection back. Now we're moving into the hands-on portion. He gestured at an array of small arms that had been laid out while he was giving the presentation. We're going to go over the basic holds and carries and dry fire drills. Rin stood up and led the other Kishman to the table. Under Rickles' guidance, they were all given a pistol, shown how to properly hold it, operate it, and went through several dry fire exercises. Then they walked through the same with a rifle and a shotgun. By the time they broke for lunch, Rin's head was reading with information. Do they really expect us to remember all this, or even use their firearms? Anyo muttered at Yushai, Ayan, and Sayashi as they filed out of the room. With respect, my lord, Ren said quietly, as every soldier in the royal host is at first a pikeman, every marine is at first a rifleman. I've had to take up a pike when my mana crystals were exhausted before. Facing such a situation again, I would much prefer to pick up a rifle instead. Yes, well, some of us actually know how to conserve our mana crystals, second artificer. Anyo sneered and brushed past. I don't expect to be so wasteful. Renzia swept low in his skull as he glared at Anyo's back. And some of us have actually fought in this war, he thought, biting his tongue to keep himself from saying it out loud. Anyo rolled his ears dismissively as he and the other lords walked away. Officers can be dickheads in any world, can't they? Bradford asked, stepping up behind him. He snorted, wagging his ears in the affirmative. Meh, don't let him get to you, he's just a deluded jerk, she said, punching him in the shoulder. Buy you lunch? We have to pay for our food, he asked, quirking a ear at her and rubbing his shoulder as he fell in step with her. 
Shh, not so loud, Shimok whispered. Don't give them any freaking ideas. He snorted again and smiled, keeping an ear locked on her. Penny-pinching bean counters are jerks in any world, aren't they? Freaking jerks the lot of them, she smiled, giving him a wink. I ain't saying I'm the best shot round or nothing, Davies said, the usual twang in his voice. But I did grow up with them. It's in my blood, you might say. Oh, Ren asked, quirking in the air as him as he scooped up some of the mac and cheese. Bradford sighed, rolling her eyes. Here we go again. She looked at Kowalski, who sat on the other side from her from Davies, and mimed the next words in the near-perfect time. Scoo! I usually hide my accent on account of it hitting 15 to the wall with more developed places and all. But I grew up in South Carolina. Yes, sirree. Damn near born with a rival in my hand. And a rebel flag in the other. Oh, stuff it, Davies, Bradford said as Kowalski snorted a bag of juice out of his nose. Kimber started thumping the back of his lanky marine as he choked and gasped for air. Wren turned his ear and raised an alarm. Are you so fond of reminding everyone, she continued as Kowalski coughed, gasping for breath. We've been stuck together since we left boot camp, so I know all about your backstory. He gave her a shocked look, but she waved him into silence before he could voice protest. Your family moved from Charleston to Massachusetts when you were three. You spent most of your life living south of Worcester. She rolled her eyes and shook her head. You're as much of a southern rebel as I am. His shocked expression turned into a tight face, angry glare. <laughs> Haven't seen him throw that dirty look in a while. He worked his mouth like he wanted to say something, but the wind had been taken out of his sails, and he turned and set to glare down at his plate, scooping up a fork of macaroni for cover. Oh, slow down the carbs there, brah, Devon said, giving him a nudge. You should eat more lean and trim yourself down a bit. Yeah, man, you've let yourself go while in medhold. Eh, not that it's back with the battalion. The corpse will get him in shape again, soon enough. Davies scowled at his plate as the others piled on as much nutrition advice as he'd piled food onto his plate. Ren flicked his ear under the earmuffs, and he'd been given the staff sergeant finished a brief review of the safety rules that they had been instructed on that morning. The acrid odor of the gun smoke twinged his nose, accompanying the staccato pop and rattle of human weapons. The hearing protection wasn't perfect, but it didn't make the roar of gunfire bearable. He shifted the safety glasses again, searching for a position that kept them on his face while still being some form of comfortable. The star sergeant made sure that they were all wearing the safety equipment properly, or as close to proper as a Kishman could get wearing gear made for humans, and led them to the firing line. They were surrounded by berms and piled earth and sheets of wood supported by stacks of sandbags, seemed to be the most significant construction. Several marines knelt in line, working through various marksmanship demonstrations for rifle and pistol. Watching them, Rin had to stifle a few yawns. The concussive thump and the crack of human weapons was exciting and something startling, but he had seen it all before, and watching other people shoot simple targets of fixed distance of wood was only so interesting. It would be more fun if they let us shoot their guns today. After showing off their accuracy against paper targets, Marines moved to the effects demonstration. They set up blocks of ballistic gel to demonstrate penetration and damage effect, and also demonstrated effectiveness against steel plates, the human body armor, and even a few captured Alvin armor sets. Even Anya was suitably impressed by the damage the human rifles could do. Moving to another range, they were told the next demo was a handhold bombs. <laughs> Bradford chuckled as she walked up several dugout pits. 
grenades. Standing well back, they watched as several marines took turns tossing senkai-sized balls and stacks of sandbags and frames of slatted wood. The sharp bang of explosions thumped Grin in the chest, even from where they were standing, nearly fifty tails behind the marines throwing the grenades. Yashai dipped his head. These humans have impressive destructive power that even a common soldier can throw around. And that's just what they throw, Bradford said, unslinging her rifle as the marines downrange evacuated their pits and moved behind them. As the range master's command, she loaded a shell into the fat tube slung under her barrel, put the weapon on her shoulder and fired. With a heavy thwomp, another fruit-sized ball was flung from her weapon, traveling slow enough that he could actually see it. It struck the ground a hundred and fifty tails away, kicking up a cloud of dust from the loose soil. Three more thumps and three more shots blasted the targets. Reslinging her rifle, Bradford smiled back at the incredulous look some of the Kishmen were giving her while they waited for the Marines to retrieve their targets. These holes are minuscule, Anyo said, fingering a tear in one of the heavy paper targets. A needle through the heart will still kill a man, Yishai said, examining the captured set of Alvin plate and chain. The plate had only been scratched and gouged by explosions, but the chain had two holes torn through it. He wiggled his fingers in them and pointed at the gem blade's plate with a gaping hole in it. Bradford had scored a direct hit in that one. And that's no needle. Anyo snorted, but flicked a grudging acknowledgement before redonning his earmuffs. Moving on, they were led to another block of targets with another group of marines. Rin recognized one of the weapons that Kowalski always carried, distinctive in the belt of ammunition that trailed out of it. A few other weapons were present, similar but larger. Rin was impressed by the steady barrage of death and destruction just one of the weapons could spit out, even though he knew what to expect. His companions, however, did not. Anyo, Sayash, and Ayan were technically present at the battle, but not at the front lines. Duke Yushai and Shiyan were both active in the fight, but Tetya was only the one of them still fighting with a withdrawal when the humans arrived, and he had said that he held in place with the two five search past. He had to suppress an anticipatory chuckle. They haven't seen this before. He grinned at his first machine gun, an M249, like Kowalski carried, opened up, and the marine hosed his target with a torrent of bullets, and the other Kishman's earmuffs all jerked as the ears tried to stand up straight. Two more M249s started up, altering five as they first reloaded. Seconds later, and three of them were chattering back and forth, maintaining a non-stop stream of fire. As they expended the last of their ammunition, another collection of guns were set up. These were larger, heavier, and rattled at a slower pace and a deeper voice. Steel targets downrange rang out as they were pelted. The sergeant walked by, handing out twin-tubed artifact dubbed binoculars. After demonstrated by Bradford and with a little fiddling of his own, he managed to figure them out. He put them to his eyes and back down several times, studying the device. How does this work without magic? Shouting over the mechanized guns. Optics, Bradford shouted back with a grin. What? He gave her a confused look, his ear twitching under his muffs. Curved glass. He glanced at the binoculars again and shrugged at the other Kishman and put them back to his eyes. It was only then that he noticed the dirt being kicked up behind the steel targets and the flashes of sparks as the rounds punched straight through them. The machine gun demo finished up with what the marines called the Marduce, 
which was mounted on top of the Humvee. The Marine manning it conked the lever, and it spit out a defending stream of glowing bolts that punched through steel plates and shattered blocks of cement like hot knife through butter. The Kishman stared at the destruction in awe. This would be completely changed the nature of the war, Yeshai said, visibly shaken. He looked as the pair of twin-engine jets rumbled overhead as they weighed to conduct an air patrol. He looked as if he truly saw the aircraft for the first time. And so would they. He stared after them, lost in thought. Anyo looked at the jets and then back at the cooling M2, and his ears swept back as he frowned. We're not quite done yet, Staff Sergeant said as another Humvee rolled up. This one was fatter, stubbier gun mounted on top. What do you have for us now? Ayan said. In a word, Sergeant said, grinning as he opened up the rear of the Humvee and revealed several boxes. Grenades. I don't trust them, Anya said, glaring at the plate of human food in front of him, and I'd question the wisdom of having any dealings with them. It strikes me as a hiring a Yashka to guard the flock against hyenas. Siyashi nodded. Yes, it'll eat the hyenas, and then it'll turn around and eat your flock, and then you. Their weapons are terrifyingly destructive, Ayan said, and they just keep going, Siyashi added. They ran until we dropped, and then just kept going on like it was nothing. Primitive humans hunted by chasing their prey until they dropped from exhaustion, Rin said. They are merely well adapted to endurance. And that is supposed to be comforting how, Anyo snapped, giving him a glare. Tetya and Yo-Yun both glared at him, but kept their heads down, not saying anything. Yashai quietly ate his dinner, making no comment on the conversation. Anyo shook his head. With their weapons and their physical strength, there is nothing to stop them from turning on us and taking what they like once the elves are dealt with. He snorted, if they even decide to wait that long. Their world is prosperous, much more than ours even before the war, and they've already started sharing with us, Ren objected. With their weapons, they could have fortified the portal and never let the elves through, yet they readily chose to help us. He added, consciously keeping his ears low. He was widely speaking out of turn, but Anya had been disparaging the humans since they had all sat down in the private, and nobody else was speaking against him. Yes, to help us, and then certainly to help themselves, to our land and our resources. Anyo waved a hand, his ears swinging back in disgust, and us with nothing to stand against them. We have magic, Rin said, glancing at Yishai, who was still focusing on his dinner. They have none, no knowledge of it, perhaps not even an ability to wield it. There is much that they would be willing to trade for it, including much of their technology. And what is to prevent them from taking it by force? Anya snarled, then snorted in disgust, his ears standing straight up. You speak of matters of statecraft and strategy of which you have no knowledge, second artificer. You should leave such discussion to your betters. Ren's ears flattened in response, and he opened his mouth to retort before he realized what he was doing. He snapped, his jaw shut, and swept his ears low and back, staring down at the half-finished meal. Anyo glared at him for a moment and then flicked an ear of dismissal. He lifted his chin, turning away from the peasant that was beneath his notice. The humans are much too much of a threat to be trusted. If it were up to me, we would close the portal immediately and sever all ties with them. Ishai snorted, shaking his head. That is not an option. He set the fork down and leaned back with a sigh. We have no choice but to trust the humans. If not for them, we would be dead. Nearly all of our remaining strength was here, and the elves smashed through it like we were nothing. We were on the very cusp of defeat when they arrived, and it would have been total. 
Anyo opened his mouth to object, but Yushai waved him to silence. But portions of the royal host and our militias that survived could have delayed them long enough for the new host to be raised, and the war would have carried on a few more years. But we've already lost half the kingdom. Our treasury is spent, millions are dead, millions more displaced and starving. The largest armies we have ever assembled have been whittled down to nothing or smashed entirely. He shook his head, his ears flicking through anger and frustration and a brief hint of exhaustion. We had lost. We would have dragged the war on like a twitching corpse, but our most optimistic projections gave us three, maybe four years at best before Canlan and all of our people were destroyed. The war was over, then all but the dying. The young duke leaned forward, and make no mistake, the humans have bought us a reprieve and preserved a bulk of our remaining forces. But without them, we would still lose. We need them in this war. We cannot survive without them. Picking up his fork, he examined the four-pronged instrument with an amused quirk of his ear for a moment before using it to stab a small orange tuber. Ayat is right about their apparent willingness to help us and work with us. He pointed the speared tuber at Rin. Regardless of their long-term intentions, they do not appear to have any interest in our extermination. Unlike the elves. That we'll take, and for now, be glad for it. He popped the tuber in his mouth, crunching away for a moment before swallowing. He waved his fork in the air. But this discussion aside, the argument is irrelevant. The task before us is to build our relationship with the humans, cement their interest in our alliance, and learn from them as much as we can. Anyo and the other nobles nodded their heads in acknowledgement, though the sweep of Anyo's ears made it clear that he still was not happy about it. Yishai finished munching on another tuba. To that end, we must prepare our demonstrations for tomorrow. Tetya, I'm told that though your technique is raw, you have channeled remarkable amounts of mana on the battlefield. It seems you would be our best demonstrator of brute offensive spells. As you say, your grace, Tetya said, his normally brash attitude to Mia and presence of such an exalted nobility. And Ayat, Yushai nodded at him. It is my understanding that your particular talent for shieldwork has earned you the nickname amongst the humans. Yes, your grace, Ren said with a nod. His ears swept low. Excellent, Yishai grinned. A ragged volley of shard bursts flashed and whined over the scraped earth, ripping holes in paper, mostly. Ayan's shot punched through the wood frame of his target, just missing the paper, and Siyashi's shot struck the ground directly in front of him, kicking up a cloud of dirt. A half second after the main volley, Anyo's shot pulsed out, striking the center of the target 150 tails away. Cease fire! Cease fire! The range master called. Clear your weapons and bench them. Rin pulled the mana crystals from his staff and set them on the ground in front of him. It couldn't discharge without an artificer to activate it, but he understood the human's caution. They handle their own weapons with the same care. The line is called. You may relax your eyes and ears. Shooters, go down the range and collect your targets. Rin stepped forward with the other artificers, walking down range to retrieve his target. There wasn't an abundance of junior marines to do the task for him at the moment. When they returned, the targets were laid out and the marines to observe. Most of them had holes scattered across the silhouette, though Rin's pattern was concentrated in the center. Anyo's target had a hole where the center used to be, though he had always taken an extra second or two to take his shot, Rin noted to himself. My noise led the volley. Not bad, the gunnery sergeant Valdez. 
He was a range OIC from Delta Company, who were the range of the day. You definitely dropped off accuracy faster than a rifle with iron sights past 100 meters, but you're about on par at 100 meters or less. The officers sent on the ONI to observe the Kishman demonstration nodded, but made no comment. Dude, we should totally get them a red dot or an ACOG, one of the marines suggested, eyeing the staves. Shouldn't be too hard to bolt the Pictani to those things. Oh, dude, get a laser sight or a flashlight too. Yeah, and add an M203 and hit him with the pew-pew and then a boom. Boys, Rapid said, shaking her head, you're thinking about this all wrong. They can do boom already. She paused for effect. Chainswords. Yeah! Rin shook his head as the marines started a competition, one-upping each other with increasingly absurd things to mount to a starve. All right, first squad's all finished with our little makeshift dynamic range and got all set back up for you guys. Baldi said, who's up first? Artificers briefly exchanged glances and then Yen Yed raised her hands. His tail flicked back and forth in excitement. I'll go. Right this way. Rin walked over to Checha, giving him a nod. Hey, I noticed your spell structure of your starburst was a bit different from the standard. You bled a lot more energy, and it looked like you just piled on layers of cohesion and made up for the loss by dumping in more mana. Ah, well, he said, glancing up while he puffed his chest out and squared his shoulders. His voice artificially deepened. You know, sometimes you get the urge to punch your way through something. He slapped his fist to his palm and can't be bothered about being fancy about it. Can I see your spell structure? Ren asked, maintaining a patience of a niggling suspicion began to grow. He folded his hands open as he formed an image artifice, interweaving lines and nodes as his starburst spell structure appeared, formatted in a standard notation. It was a fairly simple spell, but the notation mimicked the ethereal structure of an artifice, giving a certain elegance. Is this, I'll show you mine if you show me yours kind of thing? <laughs> if you know what I mean... Ren held his expression neutral, resisting the urge to flinch his ears. I'm not actually, and I don't want to see, I mean, he frowned, and then frowned at the image Ren was projecting, actually looking at it. Is that it? His voice had jumped an octave, and he leaned forward, giving Ren a nose full of musk of war. That's, that's all there is to it. What does yours look like? Ren asked, resisting the urge to wrinkle his nose or cough. It's not a terrible smell, he just lays it on way too heavy. Well, um, um, he fumbled for a moment and twisted his hands, and tangled knot of spell appeared, piled over layer upon layer. The notation was not only non-standard, but also inconsistent. Rin narrowed his eyes, certain that if the spell structure was written on paper, it would be filled with notes scribbled in the margins. Tetya looked between the two. Uh, mine's bigger? Rin snorted a chuckle as he stared to pick through the tangled mess of Tetya's artificer. Some of this is pretty clever and intuitive, but it's cobbled patchwork of... Patches? On patches. On cobbled patches. The further he dug, the more he expected to find tea stains and soiled laundry. After several minutes of trying to make heads or tails of the artificer, Rin collapsed in frustration. Here, he said, shaking his head. Let me see your staff. I'll transfer my artifice and some basic spell structs into it. You can play around with them later. Sure. Tetya said in almost normal voice. He passed his starve over, and though it was well-maintained, Rin could suppress a distasteful flick of his ears as he thought of the contents and what might have been wiped off of it. He quickly transferred the spell work as he passed it back. You should be all set. Thanks, Tetya said, giving him an honest, if somewhat awkward nod. 
Rin gave him an amicable flick of the ear and walked over to where the dynamic range Anya was making a run through, and Rin was pleased to see that his accuracy suffered greatly when focused on moving and engaged in targets at different ranges behind cover, all the while pressed for time. He watched the Duke run through and acquit himself reasonably well, then volunteered to go next. That looks like fun. Waiting for fresh targets to be put up, he rolled his shoulders and cracked his neck. Most battles, particularly large-scale engagements, were founded on rigid formations and maneuvers, but smaller battles, skirmishes, and fighting on rough terrain often took on a much more dynamic free-form element. It was the latter style that the human battle doctrine was built around, and Rin found it fascinating. On the go command, Rin sprinted forward, shooting a pair of spell shards at the first two targets before sliding into cover. He leaned around, nailing a third and a fourth, and then burst from cover, sprinting towards the building. He saw the target peeking out the window and sent a pair of shard bursts streaking after it. He skidded up to the door and moved through the house quickly as he could. Three rooms and five targets later, and he was back outside, lying against a berm. Peeking over, he spied three more targets. He popped up his staff and spat out three rapid pulses, one at each target. Surging over the berm, he snapped a shot into the surprise target that popped up on the metal frame. Moving between cover points, he snapped off shots at two more targets before sliding into the last cover point. His final set of targets were moving behind crudely painted wood silhouettes of what looked like a family, which he had been told he could not shoot. They already had a few holes in them. Three shots later, and he was done with no new holes in the wooden family. Best time so far, Valdez said when he returned to the bench with his targets. Minute and a half faster than anyone else. He looked over at the targets, and all of which had one or more kidding holes in them. And you killed all the targets with no collaterals. I'd normally crap all over you for shooting on the run, but it looks like it doesn't really hurt the accuracy of a starve. That's worth noting. He looked at his watch, and the marines resetting the targets returned. Tetcha, you're up. The Kishman in question looked up in surprise, and then quickly dismissed the imagery of the spell structs that he had examining and hurried over. Just point me at what you need a hold in, and I'll smash it. Twenty minutes later, Ren was lining up with Duke Yushai and the Lords Ayan and Siyash, preparing to demonstrate various other types of offensive artifices. Tetya would follow after them with a brute-powered demo, and Anyo and Yenyad would be preparing a light artillery caster that had been loaned from demonstration. Their targets this time, instead of paper silhouettes, were an array of ballistics gel blocks, various humans and captured alvin armor, and a few steel plates. On the command to fire, an extended barrage of spells burst down range, where some standard shard bursts demonstrating the effectiveness and penetration, but the whole range of element was represented. Flames roiled, electricity crackled, and ice burst across the range. As the crackle of the last shot died away, the RSO called a ceasefire, and several marines broke into cheers and applause. Dude, that was freaking awesome! It was like watching an episode of Star Wars, or a Marvel movie. Pew 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 pew! Ren smiled at the applause and considered giving a bow. He glanced at the nobles and decided grandstanding would not be terribly appropriate at the moment. Instead, he stepped aside as a few marines went downrange to collect targets and measure their effectiveness. Curious about the results of the test and eager to help, he followed after them. Hmm, their bullets penetrate armor better than even a shard burst at standard power, but we can vary the power of our spells. He flicked his ear. 
Though they also have bigger bullets, and Jav said that they have a new, more powerful rifle in development. One of the Marines whistled, Dude, those fireballs don't penetrate armor very well, but they'll cook you good if you're not protected. And even if you are, another Marine said, pointing at the charring splash across the targets. They'd melt through anything that isn't ceramic or metal well enough, the third Marine said. The ice doesn't penetrate for crap, the first Marine said, but where it does hit is frozen freaking solid. He snapped a few pictures. Bet the eggheads who are gonna want to do a frick ton of lab testing with what this crap too. Ah man, just throw out a lab coat and take a sample or something. It'll be good. Yeah, I measured the hole twice. We're taking precision data here. <laughs> I measured your mom's hole twice. Oh, frick you. Run shook his head, his ears wagging in amusement exasperation as his helpful haul of the last of their targets off the range. You all are freaking pigs, another female marine said, intercepting the back and forth about precision hole measurement as she helped more more targets onto the range. She had a dark, chocolate-colored skin, and her hair was in a knot in rows along her skull. Run quirked an ear at her, not sure which part of the battalion she belonged to. He marveled again how diverse the humans could look despite having no fur, horns, or tail, and with such a uniformly flat faces. All right, lock it up, Valdi said, intervening as insults a poke, and I'll poke beat your freaking rear, we're exchange. We don't all have fucking day. Actually, we do, Bradford muttered as he joined her, though she was careful not to say it aloud enough for Valdez to hear. He flicked an ear and gave her a slight smile as they sat back and watched Tetya give a show. All right, he said as he was fake deep voice, stepping up to the firing line. I'll show you guys a real man hits things. Bradford rolled her eyes and rolled them again when he flicked his ear in her and every other woman in view. How does anyone fall for that crap? Rin just shrugged. On the command to fire, Tetya rolled his shoulders, twisting his head from side to side, and then brought his staff up. The heavy starburst snapped out, punching through three steel plates and into the dirt embankment behind them. Another heavy shard burst snapped out, and the armor stand fell over, a gaping hole punched through the human body armor. A third shot punched clean through a set of alvin plates. Tetya had a new mana crystal in his staff, and a series of fireballs erupted down the range. Another mana crystal, and a chain of electricity arced between another set of targets. Tetya fed another mana crystal into his staff and took aim at his final target. Another bolt snapped out, crackling with energy, and the log his target sat on vanished into a bright ball of fire. The concussion knocked him on his tail and punched Rin's chest like a bucking quasi. Rin blinked, his ears ringing despite his earmuffs. Tetya sat on his tail, his ears swept back in shock, staring at the small crater his artifice had dug as bits of dirt and debris rained down. Oops, he squeaked and then cleared his throat, quickly throwing a defective voice. I mean, <laughs> um, that, 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 that was expected. What did you do? Anya demanded. His ears raised up in anger at an alarm. Well, Tetya scratched near. I was playing with some spell structs that a Yust had showed me, and I slapped them into a concussion artifice that I'd been tinkering with, and, uh, well, uh, he checked his stuff. I ended up draining the whole mana crystal. Anya glared at Rin. How? Can he think this is my fault? The Earl opened his mouth, but before he could speak, Yushai stepped forward. While that was certainly an impressive feat, second artificer, this is probably not the best time to experiment with new artifice structures. 
As you say, your grace, Tetcher muttered, dipping his head low, his ears flat with his skull and his accepted chastisement. At least warn us next time before you freaking damn near blow up the range, Valdez said. Tetcher nodded, seemed to shrink in on himself a little. Can you do something like that? Bradford asked, leaning into a whisper. Not easily, he whispered back, though that shouldn't have used up an entire mana crystal of that size. He shook his head. He's still bleeding a lot of mana. Leaving a few marines to clean up the targets from Tetcher's demonstration, they shifted over to the 200-meter range. Anyo and Yenyed had marked a few final preparations with the light artillery piece. The artillery costa resembled a larger, fatter starve, mounted with a two-wheeled carriage frame. Unlike a starve, it had four prongs instead of two, long and arranged in a cross pattern. Three bands of gold wire connected the prongs, making them resemble a diamond-shaped barrel, and a large crystal was embedded in the main body, centered between the roots of the four prongs. Gold and platinum wire and bands wove down the length of the main body, which was a cylinder of carved and fitted wood, to the mana crystal chamber near the area. The end was capped with a fitment where the spell frames would be slotted in, depending on the type of artifice being projected. Rin had only half listened to Anyo's condescending layman's description of the light artillery piece. He was not an artilleryman, but in general artificer training included base concepts and enough foundation that he could help operate one if needed. He watched Yenyet attach the spell frame and load mana crystal from a crate that he wished that they had on the battlefield. With good spell frames and proficient handlers, they could have fed the battery for a week straight with those in the box. Completing the final checks of his weapon, Yenyed reported the battery was ready. Anyo nodded and took his place behind the caster. He sighted on a target 100 yards away and then sparked the battery. With the slight buck and the deep whine, a heavy shard burst flashed downrange. With a sound like a ringing gong, it punched through the first of multiple steel plates arranged in a line, though it failed to penetrate the second. The shard burst disintegrated as it lost cohesion, flashing apart in a small explosion of magical energy. The Earl stepped back as Yenyed had ran the caster through the post-fire and pre-fire checks, then stood clear and reported ready. Anyo stepped forward again and sparked the battery. It bucked and whined, and another heavy shard punched through a hole through the steel plate. Twice more, and Anyo stepped away as Yenyed removed the spell frame, discharged the connection point, and attached a new frame. The fourth shot had penetrated the second plate to burst upon the third. Heavier batteries are less flexible like an artifice as they can project, Anya said. The power of the shots require heavier, simpler constructions, limiting the variety of spell structs that they can store in the channel. The residual charge also wipes or corrupts the structure stored on any spell frame. A light battery such as this must have a residual mana charge wiped every few shots, or it'll corrupt the spell frame. All powerful batteries, or those that are poorly built or maintained, must be wiped with every shot. Even the most well-built heavy batteries will corrupt the spell frame with each shot, so they use single-use frames. Yenyet reported the battery ready. This next set is a light shard burst. Most of our heavy batteries are built to fire both shard burst and shard blast. Only our heaviest batteries can only fire the one or the other. He readied himself behind the battery and sparked it. The caster bucked and subtly different whine, and the fatter bolt punched into the ground. It heaved up a geyser of dirt, digging into a small crater as a cluster of smaller needle-like shards sprayed out from the center. 
Yenye checked the caster again, and the next shot burst in midair between the group of targets, peppering them with the smallest shards. Anyad stepped back and Yenye began the process of swapping the spell frames again. Yenye is the battery captain, Rin said, leaning in to mutter to Bradford. He has to know and be able to do everything he is doing, but none of it requires an artificer. Only sparking the battery does. He nodded at the frames. He's also using four frames that even the barest artificer can spark. He and Lord Anyo both can use partial frames, forming the rest on the fly. They're easy to set and more durable. Is he being lazy or underselling? She whispered back. He frowned. I don't know, he paused, reflecting on the limited selection of artifices Anya had demonstrated and his trouble with timing. He quirked an ear. Maybe neither, he flicked, and he aired the oil when she raised a questioning eyebrow. I'd have to look at the staff to be sure, but he might only be a sparker, barely able to project anything. But he's thrown out some pretty impressive spells, hasn't he? She narrowed her eyes, her nose scrunching up a little. Nothing that couldn't be done with spell frames built into his staff. It's not cheap to do that, especially when something that lasts, but, uh, he's an earl and can afford it, she nodded and eyed Anyo as he settled behind the battery to demonstrate a few fireballs. Does that have any significance for anything? Rin shook his head. Only for his vanity. It does explain why he's an artillery, though, and not something a bit more glory-heavy. She nodded and then tilted her head. If you can make spell frames to throw out spells like that for just a sparker, if we could develop a mechanism that lets someone without magic spark a spell frame, we can make a spell gun we could use. They already exist, he said after a series of fireballs blossomed across the range. Naval artillery batteries have them, so any of the crew can spark them. They are incredibly complex and expensive to make, though has cost more than batteries themselves. Huh, she raised both eyebrows. We would probably pay a lot to get our hands on a couple of those. He nodded and flicked an ear at her. We would probably ask a lot to give any up. Magic is the one advantage we have, our single point of leverage. It would be foolish to give it up lightly. He flicked an ear at Anyo. He would have nothing to do with any of you. Is his a popular opinion? She asked, raising an eyebrow at him. Rin snorted with a flippant slick of his tail. Fortunately for all of us, he does not decide policy or strategy. Thunder boomed across the range as the caster spat out a volley of thunderbolts. Good, cause we're awesome, she winked at him and then sighed. Well, most people are pretty decent, anyway, she frowned. I have no doubts that there are plenty of Americans who don't want anything to do with you either. Is theirs a popular opinion? he asked, quirking an ear at her. She shrugged. I don't really know, but fortunately for us, they're not the ones making decisions on our side. He snorted. Maybe we should lock them in a room together. They could be friends. Ha! <laughs> she grinned, bonding over how much they hate each other. They shared a smile until a sharp explosion thumped their chests. Bradford looked at the range and then small column of dust billowing up. Concussive shot, he said, glancing down range. Limited area effect, unless you can hit something that'll turn into shrapnel, and it doesn't penetrate well. It gets a great deal for knocking things down. It thumps like C4, she said, with another boom shook his lungs. Not much C4, but it's a good concussion of high explosives. She tilted her head. Could you slap one of those onto the back of a shard burst? Not easily, he frowned, cocking his ears. I know what you're thinking, and it technically can be done, but I'm not aware of any artifice structure that combines the two with any kind of practical efficiency. She frowned. It might be something worth playing with, 
We've got armor-piercing, high-explosive shells that punch into a target and then blow up. It doesn't do a frickwad more damage that way. He nodded. You have a lot more armor to deal with than we do. He flicked his ears side to side. These owls rely a lot on their shields, and anything that puts a hole in their armor will generally also put a fatal hole in them. She nodded, and the final concussion thumped his chests. Anyo stepped back while Yin Yet cleared the battery, but before he could speak, another marine shouted, Attention! On deck! Rin and Bradford both snapped to attention, and with the rest of the marines as an officer with four stars on his chest strolled up. As you were, he said, this whole posture screaming unrivaled authority. That's General Langstrom, Bradford whispered. He's the commanding officer of all U.S. forces in Gala. Impressive display night, Captain, he said. I'd hate to be the one on the receiving end of your artillery. As you say, my lord, Anya said, dipping his head in a stiff bow. Just sir is fine, night, Captain, Langstrom said, waving his hand. I grew up on a farm in Iowa, not any kind of royal palace. Anya dipped his head again, but said nothing. How does your artillery range compare to the Yells? Langstrom asked. It depends on the battery, sir, Anya said. Some can outrange the elves, particularly our heavy batteries, but most field pieces are out of range by their mage towers. You have more conventional artillery, trebuchets and ballista, don't you? We do, sir, but I am not an expert on these batteries. We didn't bring any, Yeshai said. Your indirect artillery is vastly superior to ours. We didn't see much point in demonstrating any. Langstrom nodded. We haven't used trebuchets and catapults in centuries. Still, your shells are charged with magic, are they not? They are, Yishai said. Their range is limited, and their artifices are a bit different, but they can be nearly as powerful as our heavy casters, even without considering the kinetic impact. Is this something that could be applied to our artillery? Yishai glanced at the other two artillerymen. Yes, my lord, sir, Yenyad said, keeping his head low. From what I've seen of your weapons, it should be possible. Good. We'll have a look into that then. He glanced at his watch. Gentlemen, I'd love to stay for the rest of the demonstration, but I don't have the time. He looked at the marines and artificers. Keep up the good work. We've thrown the Keeblers on the back foot, but the war is far from over yet. I've no doubt that we'll need to rely on each other to see it to an end. You've an opportunity like few before you to set a precedent of how we work together. Do it right. Hoorah. Hoorah, the marine shouted back. Outstanding. Keep up the good work. Attention, on deck, Valdez called, saluting the general. Carry on, he said, returning the salute before turning and walking away, his retinue roaring in behind him. And on that note, Valdez said, clean this mess up and we can break for lunch. End of part one. And that, my friends, is the end of the video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you wish to support the author, check the links down below for the original link. But if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways listed down below. But the easiest would be to share this with as many people as possible to help the channel grow. And I will see you all in the next video. And until then, I hope you all have a good one. Cheers.